All right, what's up, everybody? You guys doing all right? You good? Well, welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Samer, and I lead the living room down, uh, I guess, up uh, at Woodstock City Church. A lot of KSU students and some other Kennesaw area students. That's right. So me and Brad, we get to work together, and so we're really glad that you guys are here. Um, if it's your first time, we're especially glad that you're here. Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, and I want to just tell you one thing. If you missed last week's message, um, I would really encourage you to go back to our podcast, either The Living Room ATL or The Living Room KSU, and go listen to last week's message, because today we're going to kind of continue um, in the theme that we, we brought up last week. And last week, one of my best friends in the whole world, his name is Miles, uh, who's a pastor at Auburn Community Church. He came in, and he kicked off this summer. And he introduced this idea of us living in the here and now. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off that idea. And if you did miss, I'm just going to kind of catch you up to what we talked about last week and then get into where we're going tonight. But we, we talked about God's will for our lives. And if we could just kind of ask it as a question, what is God's will for my life? That's kind of what we talked about last week. What is God's will for my life? It's probably one of the most asked questions by Christians, like period. What is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? Right. And especially in college, right? You know, I mean, I'm not too far removed, like six or eight years, I still remember what it was like to feel the pressure of trying to figure out what God's will for my life was. And in college, you feel that, right? I mean, where does God want me to work? Where does God want me to major in? Who does God want me to marry? If some of you are already there, maybe, I don't know. Some of you guys are like, I'm just trying to figure out who God wants me to date, you know? Um, Or you're like, just trying to figure out who would say yes. That's fine. Like you're wherever, wherever you are in that, right? We want to know God's will. We obsess over it. And we we agonize over it and we try to figure it out like it's a puzzle or or we we try to pray our way through it, right? Some of you, when you think of God's will, you think of like a target and you think, okay, I've got to to get it right on the bullseye. And if I miss the bullseye, then I've missed God's will for my life and I've missed something and and everything. My life is over. Like, what is life? I quit kind of idea. Some of you think when you think of God's will, it's like this puzzle that you have to decode and figure out like a, like a, a candy crush kind of board and you've got to rearrange all the candies and get like you know, free up the, the Jesus jelly beans or something. I don't know. You've got to like figure out God's will for your life that way. Or maybe when you think of God's will, you think I just got to pray and I'm going to pray. I'm going to be a prayer soldier. I'm going to be a prayer warrior and I'm going to pray my way into God's will. And you pray so hard that you're like expecting a flame of fire to light up and take you straight to the person that you're going to marry. We try to figure out what God's will is and we obsess over it. Now, admittedly, admittedly, you can obsess over way worse things than what God's will is in your life. That's not a terrible thing to obsess over, especially in college, right? It's stressful. I mean, think about this. College is like the beginning of the rest of your life. It's like the beginning of everything. And you can't really go back on some of the stuff you're going to do in college, what you're going to major in. If you want to go back, you got some years to make up, right? You can't just like major in something. You got to go back to school or change your major. You got to take extra classes. Well, you got to decide on kind of what you're going to do with your life career-wise. There's a lot of decisions. And really, it's the beginning of the rest of your life. It's the launching pad that throws you into the rest of your life. So it would make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense that during the time in college, you're wondering, what is God's will for my life? I'll never, I'll never forget trying to figure out what I was supposed to major in my sophomore year. And at first, I went into college, man, I was like, I'm going to do pre-med, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I took chemistry. 
And then I was like, see ya. You know, I was like, I'm not doing that. And it was terrible. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not wired that way. I can't do this. Chemi- my dad's a chemist, so I was trying to follow in the footsteps of my father. Yeah, it skipped me and went to my brother who's in med school. So they just, people, we got a little confused, you know, firstborn, not me. And so I was like, I don't know what, what am I supposed to do? And someone was like, man, you should go into ministry. I was like, yeah, okay, see ya. Um, I was like, I'm not, not doing ministry. That's not my deal. That's not my thing. But then I was like, well, may- maybe it is my thing. What should I major in? And I just remember agonizing. So I just decided to major in finance. And here I am working here. So God works in mysterious ways. But I remember thinking, man, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? And here's where we landed last week. And this is kind of where we'll pick up the conversation as it relates to living in the here and now. Is that we can become so fixated on trying to figure out God's will for our lives. We can become so fixated with what's to come and what we hope for and what we want and where we're going to go and who we're going to be with and what we're going to do. We can become so fixated on trying to figure that out that we completely overlook the importance of the here and now. We completely overlook what God might be doing in you and through you in the here and now. We get so fixated on what God might do and what we would want him to do that we overlook the preparation that God is doing in us in the here and now. And the reason why the here and now is so important, and this is kind of what we're going to talk about for the rest of the night, is that in the here and now, Right now in college, right now this summer, right now this next school year, in the here and now is who you are becoming. The here and now is shaping who you are becoming. The here and now is shaping who you are going to be when you step into what God has for your life. Now, we we can't really control God's will for our lives, right? But let me just tell you this, that God... God is way more concerned with who you are becoming in the here and now than he is with where you're going to go, where you're gonna, what you're going to do, or who you're going to marry. I'm going to say that again, that God is far more concerned with who you are becoming in the here and now than he is with where you're going to go, what you're going to do, or who you are going to marry. We can't control God's will. We have a hard time trying to figure out what in the world God's will is or even how that works and and how all that happens, right? But the one thing that we can control is who we are becoming. You know this. Every single day, you are making decisions and you are becoming somebody. Every single day, you are making decisions and you are developing and you are growing and you are walking in a particular way. You are living a particular lifestyle. You are handling relationships a certain way. You view people a certain way. You treat people a certain way. You you handle your purity or lack thereof in a certain way. And you live your life in a certain way. And every single day, you are becoming someone. And there is so much. Here's why this is so important. There is so much potential in this room. There is so much potential in this room. There's influencers sitting in this room. There are future pastors sitting in this room. There are future leaders sitting in this room. There are future business leaders who are going to be the light of the world in a business that needs it, I would say, even more than the church does. There are marriages in this room that are going to come out of this room. Maybe not like like marriages. I mean, like some of y'all are going to get married is what I meant by that. If marriages come out of this room, let us know. That's awesome. We can always share that kind of story, get people to come here more. Come to the living room, get married. Um, But there are marriages that are going to come out of this room. You're going to get married, and it's going to impact generations because you're going to live for Jesus. 
There are going to be people who are going to be impacted forever because of the way that you live your life for Jesus. There are moms in here, one day moms, that are going to be amazing moms. There are future amazing fathers. There are future amazing husbands and wives. There is so much potential in this room. And whether or not that potential is realized is all determined in what we do in the here and now. Because that potential is either going to be realized by us walking in the way that God has shown or, or it's going to be compromised in living in a way that we think is best. When you open up the scripture, here's what's so fascinating about this. You are not going to find some dotted line and eventually you're going to decode the specific will that God has for your life. That's not going to happen. God has given us his word. That's literally what it is. He's given us his word. He's inspired and he's breathed his word and he's given it to us. And in it is not specific code and specific ways for you, Jessica. I don't even know your name. Just called you Jessica. And it's going to tell you where you're supposed to go, who you're going to marry, sorry, and how it's all going to work. But when you open up the pages of scripture, what you will find is God's way. You will not find God's specific will for your life, but you will find God's way. The way that as Jesus followers, we have been called to live and emulate. And either we can walk in that way and we can pursue that way and we can grow our faith and develop in that way. Or, or we can live our own way. We can choose to potentially, which we'll get into in just a minute, live in some kind of particular sin that we might be holding on to. And as a result, compromise God's best for our lives. Isn't it so interesting? When we talk about God's will for our lives, we kind of like take ourselves out of the equation. It's like we just think that, that God's will is just this thing, and I just need to find a way to like jump into it like it's a, it's like it's a bubble. And if I can just figure out what God's will is, nothing else really matters about me. I just have to figure out what God's will is, but that's not how it operates. God has things for you, but who you are will determine what happens when you step into what God has for you, that in the here and now, how you've prepared and how you've developed and how you've grown will determine whether or not that potential is realized or whether or not that potential is wasted. And this is this is our tendency as it relates to God will. We tend to emphasize God's sovereignty at the expense of our personal responsibility. Right? God's sovereignty, that's just a fancy way for saying that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful. If you believe that God has a will for your life, then you believe that God is sovereign. And we tend to emphasize God's sovereignty at the expense of our personal responsibility, that, that God's will is somehow its own little thing, totally separate from decisions we make, that God's will is just its own thing, and it does not matter how we live or what we do, because as long as we find God's will, everything is just going to be okay. But the reality is, and as we're about to find it, the story that we're going to look at, that isn't how it works. Another way to say this is that we care a lot more about trying to find God's will than trying to live in God's way. Let's just, can we just unpack the, just how crazy that sounds? We ask the question, God, who am I going to marry? Hey, am I supposed to marry this person? And then we fail to take personal responsibility to take steps to be the person that that person actually wants to marry. It makes no sense. God, am I supposed to take this job? Is this, is this the job that I'm supposed to do and, and where I'm going to thrive and, and do really well? And we ask that question, and then we fail to take personal responsibility to develop our character. And then we ask God, is this where you want me to go? Is this where, where I'm supposed to be going? Is this country or this organization or this state or move here? And yet we fail to take personal responsibility to develop a faith that's going to trust God to take us 
anywhere. When we talk about God's will, we so often tend to emphasize God's sovereignty at the expense of our personal responsibility. It's like we're just waiting for God's will to happen to us. That's what we're doing. We're waiting for it just to happen. It's like, okay, this is the day. It's happening. It's raining. That's a sign. God's will doesn't just happen. God's best for you doesn't just happen. That's not how God designed it. God's will is going to come, and it's out of our control, and God is going to do something. But here's the question that I want us to explore tonight is who who are you going to become, and who will you be when God takes you where he wants to take you? Who will you be, and who will you have become when God brings you that future spouse? Who will you be, and who will you have become when God gives you an opportunity for influence or a job? Rather than separating how we live and what we do from God's will, if we want to pursue God's will, if we want to pursue his best for us, it starts with what we do in the here and now. Because either, either we will follow in God's ways and realize that potential, or we will choose our own way and waste that potential. And there's a perfect example of this happening in the Old Testament. If you know anything about the Old Testament, Israel is a big part of the Old Testament. I am, my parents are from Israel, um, so I actually got some pictures out of the photo book. I'm kidding. Um, so Israel is, the, is God's, it was a really bad joke. I don't even know what it meant. It was really stupid. Um, <clears throat> but you laughed at that one. So uh, God chose this nation of Israel. And he said, okay, Israel, you are going to be my chosen people. I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. And he made a covenant with Israel. And, uh, and God also made Israel a lot of promises. And one of the promises he made Israel was, hey, Israel, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you, and it's called the promised land. That's why if they ever, you ever hear Israel's called the promised land, it's because God promised them that land. That's the, how you would say that. So God said to Israel, hey, I'm going to give you this promised land. I'm going to give you a land that is flowing with milk and honey. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Milk and honey. It'd be like if God's going to give us a land of frappuccinos and Doritos, right? Like that's like our version of milk and honey. At least it is for me. And so Israel's like, yeah, we, we want that land. And here's what you got to understand about that culture in, in back in the time of the Bible. And even now in Israel, right, I, I really do have family there, is having land is a really big deal. Having land is like this, this spiritual thing. Having land is like, it's a really, really big deal to have a land that is yours. It's your stake. It's your life. It's for your family. That's where you build your life. And so God said, you're my people, and I'm going to give you this land with more milk and honey than you could imagine. It wasn't really, it's just a metaphor. But so Israel's like, we, we want this land. So he makes this promise to Israel. Well, Israel, trekking through history, they find themselves enslaved in Egypt to Pharaoh. Have you ever seen Prince of Egypt? Yep, that is a real-life depiction of what it was like um, in the Bible. And so Egypt, um, they are ruling over Israel. All of Israel, they are enslaved to Pharaoh. They're building the pyramids and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, and then God raises... Again, I'm just giving you the spark notes. I mean, we're spanning lots of Bible here. Uh, and then God raises up this guy named Moses. We've heard of Moses. And Moses... Moses is going to be the one who is going to lead Israel out of Egypt. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he's like, hey, let my people go. Right. And Pharaoh's like, no. OK. And Moses is like, fine, plague. Right. So um, so a plague comes and then and then he goes back to Pharaoh and he's like, hey, I wasn't joking. Let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, he's like, fine, plague, you know. And so that happens ten times. And after the tenth plague, Pharaoh's like, OK, OK, OK. And actually, he was devastated because it was a really bad plague. Um, and he let Israel go. And so Moses is leading Israel out of Egypt. Um, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, no, we got to go get them. So they 
race after Israel, and then Israel gets you this infamous, they get to the Dead Sea, right? And this became famous, especially with Bruce Almighty, you know, when he splits the tomato soup in the restaurant, and they're in front of the Red Sea. I just made that connection. Red Sea, red tomato soup. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> that's incredible. Wow. So, so, um, so they're in front of the Red Sea, they're in front of the Red Sea, and, and, and Moses does something with his staff, and God splits the Red Sea, so the Israelites are walking on the bottom of the ocean, and they get, there's walls of water, I can't even imagine what that would look like, and they get to the other side, and then Pharaoh decides to charge after him, and God says, boop, and then water crashes down on Egypt, and Israel is free, Moses has led them out, and it was because of all the miracles that God did, and now they are on on their way to the promised land. And we fast forward just a little bit further into the book of Numbers, and they're right on the cusp, Israel is, of taking this promised land that God said would be theirs. And so like any good, uh, you know, it was, it was the land of Canaan, and it was inhabited by the Canaanites, and so Israel would have to conquer them to take this land. And so like any good, you know, army tactic, uh, they sent 12 spies into Canaan to kind of get a lay of the land and figure out, you know, where all the army posts were and all that good stuff. And so they go into Canaan, 12 spies, and 10 of them come back and start giving false reports about what they saw. And 10 spies start telling all of Israel, hey, this land, yeah, not flowing milk and honey, actually. It's not a really good land at all. I don't know what God was talking about. It's not a good place to plant crops. It's not a good place to live. Oh, by the way, those Canaanites, yeah, savages, we can't beat them in a fight. There's no way this is going to happen. We should just go plot next door and just take this land that God didn't promise, but maybe he'll just give us. These spies come back, and they weren't just slandering this land and talking about how strong the Canaanites were. They were slandering a promise of God and talking about what God couldn't do. And God, so frustrated, as you can imagine, it's one of the biggest slaps in the face to God in all of the Old Testament, that he brought these people out of Egypt, he made them this promise, and now they're like, no, the land isn't that good, God. Oh, by the way, we can't beat these people even if you help us. And so God... He says to Moses in Numbers 14, verse 11, he says this. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Translation, how long will these people treat me like dirt? How long will they despise me? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs that I have performed among them. And he, he, he split the Red Sea. Split it. Like walls of water, and they walked on it. They probably stepped on fish. That's this miraculous signs that God did and the plagues that he brought to get them out of Egypt. And then in the wilderness, in the desert, giving them water and finding ways to give them food in miraculous ways. God did all of that, and then they actually get to the land, and it's like those miraculous signs never happened. So Moses, he comes back to God as any good leader on the behalf of Israel, and he says, Lord, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people. It was the sin of unbelief. Failing to believe in God, failing to have faith in God, and failing to believe that God's way was the best way. Forgive the sin of these people just as you have parted them from the time they left Egypt until now. And then God responds to Moses. He says, I have forgiven them. They are forgiven, as you asked. Because God is love and forgiveness is in his character. Nevertheless, however, although I have forgiven them, 
As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and ill the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. God looks at Moses and says, hey, yeah, they are forgiven, but there are still consequences for their sin. That this promised land that they have waited for so long. God says, this unbelieving generation of Israelites, they will not see the promised land. And so what happened? They wandered around the wilderness for 40 years until that unbelieving generation died off naturally. And then the next generation of Israelites, the ones that that unbelieving generation raised, they believed in God, they lived by faith, and it was then they led by Joshua, God brought them into the land. Imagine this. This is the land. This is the moment. I mean, for, for the nation of Israel, at that point, this was everything. This was their land. And this generation of Israelites had the opportunity to be the first people that went into and inhabited the land that God promised them. But their sin of unbelief compromised God's best for their life. That yeah, God forgave them and God's will didn't change because Israel 40 years later still inhabited the land, but their sin of unbelief in the here and now compromised God's best for them later. And rather, in that time of miraculous signs and in that time in the here and now before God's will was ultimately fulfilled and God's promise came to fulfillment, in that here and now moments when they were getting led out of Egypt and through the ocean and into the desert, Rather than becoming a faith-filled people, they got to the point where God wanted to give them what they wanted and God wanted to give them what he had for them. They were an unbelieving generation. And rather than walking in the ways of God and trusting in the ways of God, they walked in the way of unbelief, they walked in the way of sin, and it compromised God's best for them, and they did not get to see the land. And if I would sum it up and maybe even apply it to us tonight... I would say this, that we are not strong enough to change God's will, but we are sinful enough to compromise his best for our lives. That, that we can't change God's will, we're not strong enough, we're not big enough that God is going to do whatever he wants to do, but we are sinful enough to compromise his best for our lives. That if you are going to get married, if that is God's will for your life, I promise you, you're going to get married. However, who you are when you enter into that marriage is on you, and it's on me. That if it's your, if God will for you to get this particular job and make this amount of money, it is going to happen. However, the character within which you go into that job and the leadership within which you go into that job, all of that will be on you. And we have the capacity, because of our sinfulness, we have the capacity to compromise God's best if we choose to walk in our own Way. Now, God did not promise us land, and really he hasn't promised us very much specifically as far as marriage and job security and even passing college. But he has promised us this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Solomon writes, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord, trust in the ways of God, believe in God with your entire heart. 
In the Hebrew, when it talks about your whole heart, it means with every fiber of your being, with every action, with every attitude, with everything that you are. It encompasses everything. With all that you are, trust in the Lord. Surrender all that you are. Lord, and lean not on your own understanding. Don't live in your own way. Don't think that you know better. Don't continue to hold on to a sin that is going to poison your potential and compromise God's best for your life. But rather, Solomon goes on to say, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. In the way that you live, in the way that you talk, in the way that you lead, in the way that you love, in the way that you pursue Jesus, in the way that you dig into God's word, in all of your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge the God that saved you. Acknowledge the God that sent Jesus for you. Acknowledge the God who performed miracles throughout history that we read about in the scriptures. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. In the way that you live. In the person that you are becoming. In the decisions that you make every day. Acknowledge him in your ways. And then he gives us a promise. And if you do, he will make your paths straight. That if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he will make our paths straight. Now, that doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there's never going to be difficulty. What it means is that we are going to be walking in the direction of the will of God for our lives. That if God is making our paths straight, you don't really have to be anxious about what God's will is because you know you are walking exactly in the direction that you need to be walking. There is a lot of freedom in knowing and believing that it's not about knowing God's will, but walking the straight path by acknowledging him in all of our ways. That if all that you do throughout college is continue to walk that straight path and prepare yourself for whatever it is that God has for you, even if you don't know what it is, when God brings it, if you've walked that straight path that he created for you by acknowledging him in all your ways, you will be ready, you will be prepared for whatever it is that he has given you. And here's what's so cool about this is that, again, a little bit different than Israel, for us following in the ways of God is us following Jesus. Think about this. Jesus came to this earth and he was God. You want to follow in the ways of God? Follow in the footsteps of a Savior who was actually God incarnate here on earth. That if you want to talk about acknowledging him in all your ways, that we would follow Jesus. You want to walk in the ways of God? Follow Jesus. And I hope that this next statement frees up some of you from any anxiety about God's will or what in the world you're supposed to do. And I would sum it up like this. Rather than trying to step into God's will, take another step towards Jesus because that puts you in God's will. Rather than trying to like sidestep and figure out where, what God's will is and focusing our attention on what in the world it's going to be, just take another step towards Jesus because if you do, you will be in God's will. Take another step towards Jesus because if you do, you'll look a little bit more like Jesus. And if you look a little bit more like Jesus every single day, you are in God's will. And here's what you can be sure of, that if we do that in the here and now, whatever comes later, the marriage, the job, the opportunity, the, the relationships, the friendships, the, the family issues, whatever comes forward, the, the children, that when those things come, whatever it is that God has for you, if we are diligent in the here and now to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then we will be able to realize the full potential and live in God's best for our lives. Rather than, rather than walking our own way, 
walking our own path in our own understanding, holding on to our own sin and becoming people that are wasting potential. Because just because God has a will for your life doesn't mean that you wake up and then you're just like a really good Christian one day. You don't just wake up and you're a really good husband. You don't just wake up and you're a perfect wife. You don't, just put, you don't just wake up and you're really good at treating women a certain way. You don't just wake up and that habit is broken. You don't just wake up and you're no longer addicted to pornography. You don't just wake up and you stop cheating. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden you have good character. All of that is developed and cultivated and sought after in the here and now. And every single one of those things can be sought after right behind Jesus. One step at a time. So rather than worrying about God's will and trying to decode it and figure it out, God says, stop worrying about what, 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 and start worrying about who, who, who you are becoming. Because if you do, eventually, you will step into God's best for your life. And so the way that I want to end today, for just a couple of minutes, um, I just want to share... We just hold off for one second. I just want to share a few things um, that that I learned uh, throughout college, and things that people have poured into me, and people, and, and things that I think. You ready? Things that I think will help you take advantage of the here and now. That you, ways that'll help you leverage the here and now, and it'll keep you from making decisions that'll poison your potential and ruining God's best for your life. And so the first one is this: this summer, invest rather than spend your time this summer. Invest rather than spend your time this summer. Can we just talk about how awesome summer break is for a minute? I mean, think about that. You get two and a half months off for, for nothing. Like, I envy you with every fiber of my being. I, I mean, grad school I had summer, and now I work at a church, I get 10 days vacation. I'm a little bitter about that, you know? Like, I work for the gospel of Jesus. Give me at least 14, you know what I mean? It is so rare for this kind of time to happen. And I'm not trying to like make grown-up jokes and, oh, when you're grown up, you're not going to have summer vacation. No, no, you won't. But, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean take advantage of it now while you have it. It is so unique to have this much time off from school. And here's what we're really good at. We're really good at spending time. We're not very good at investing time. Spending time is when you're lazy. Spending time is when you don't have a plan. Spending time is when you don't really care. But investing your time in things that matter is when you start to get a return. Investing your time in relationships that matter is when you get a return. Investing your time in a faith that matters is going to give you a return. Investing your time studying the word of God matters and is going to give you a return. So this summer, rather than just wasting it away, going to the pool every day, ordering Chinese food which is a great thing to do and you should absolutely do it. We're good at spending time. You you got that down. What would it look like for you to intentionally invest time in the here and now, preparing for whatever it is that God has for you to come? In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to like get it. I want you to make an investment portfolio in your journal. And I want you to write down the things that you're going to invest in this summer. This summer, just these next two months. What are you going to intentionally invest in? Because that will help you prepare in the here and now. The second thing, this is more of a warning. I'll never forget when I learned this. I forget who told me. It's not original with me, so I'm not taking credit for it. I just legitimately can't remember who said it. Idle time is Satan's playground. 
What I mean by that is time when you're doing nothing is Satan having a field day on your mind. Summer, you have a lot of time. You also have a lot of downtime. You also have a lot of time when you're not really doing much, right? Fellas in the room especially, you get bored. Your mind starts wandering. You know, the, the whole time you're in school, you're always thinking about the next assignment and the next thing that you have to do and the next thing you have to do. And all of a sudden, you've got summer and it's like, got nothing to do, but my mind is still thinking. What's it thinking about? I don't know. And then all of a sudden, did you know that boredom is a very common trigger for pornography? It's crazy. Even, even if you never really had an urge to, you're bored, and all of a sudden it's just kind of a, a trigger. Very common. That when you're doing nothing, Satan's like, all right, how can I get this person to sin and compromise God's best for their life? How can I get this guy to slip in and mess up his purity to compromise the greatest marriage that I want to make for him? How can I get this girl to think that this guy is going to give her security and I'm going to get her to give away something? Also, when you're in idle time, when you've got nothing to do and nothing but time, you're way more likely to make a really bad decision. And something about summer, there's just a lot of temptation, isn't it? Maybe it's because, like, if we're just honest, boobs all over Instagram, you know, bikinis, everyone's at the lake. Let's just be real about it. You're seeing stuff on the Internet. You're seeing stuff on social media. You're seeing stuff on Instagram. And all of a sudden, your mind is wandering. And idle time is Satan's playground. So I've got a really, 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 really cheesy saying. But I hope it will help you remember what to do, okay? If idle time is Satan's playground, then keeping busy, I forgot it. Oh, man, I should have wrote it down. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Um, okay, cool. Oh, no, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. It's back, it's back, it's back. It's back! It's back, it's back. The busier you, the busier you stay helps keep temptation at bay. I, I know it's cheesy, but just remember it. The busier you stay helps keep temptation at bay. Don't just sit around on the couch all day. Because if you do, you will eventually like Netflix and chill. We don't want a Netflix and chill. We just want a Netflix, okay? <laughs> the busier you stay helps keep temptation at bay. Get out of your house. Go for a run. Do something. Be with friends. But don't let Satan poison your potential because you've got idle time. And then the last one is this. This is like an aspiration, I would say. What if? What if this was true of us? That we knew God's word like you would want to know God's will. Think, think about that for a second. Think about how bad you want to know what God's will is. Think about how bad you want to know what your life looks like. Think about how bad you want to know who you're going to marry. Think about how badly and how eagerly you want to know what is going to come after your freshman year or after you graduate. Think about the eagerness with which you want to know that. Imagine... If we spent time this summer digging into God's word, and it was to that extent that we knew God's word. It was with that eagerness we wanted to know God's word. More than wanting to know his will, God wants you to know his ways. And more than wanting to know his will, he wants you to know his word. So what if you took some time this summer... And you dug into a book of the Bible that you've wanted to. You did a Bible study. You got some friends together. And you decided, let's do this together. Because I want to invest my time in the here and now in a way that's going to set me up to take hold of God's best. Whatever that is and whenever it may come. Rather than living in a way that will poison my potential and keep me from God's best. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're thankful 
that you want to know us and we're thankful that you want to have a relationship with us and we're thankful that you sent Jesus for us. And we're thankful that you have made your ways known to us. It wasn't necessary. We didn't do anything to deserve it, but, but you sent Jesus so that we could know you. You sent Jesus so that we could see a new way of living. You sent Jesus so that we could follow in the footsteps of our Savior. Because you knew that if we followed in the footsteps of Jesus, we're footsteps closer to your best for our lives. So Father, I pray for the student in the room tonight. Now I be struggling with some kind of sin or struggling with some kind of issue or something they won't surrender. I pray that we would just surrender. And I pray that we would trust that your ways are better. I pray that we would trust that your word is better. And that we would give you all that we are and all that we have, fully believing that you have our best interests in mind. Heavenly, we love you and we trust you. Help us trust you. Help us grow and help us make this summer one that we'll never forget. In Jesus' name, amen.